Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 141. This week, we talk with Nick Walker about Azure App Services and tons of new features, including Linux containers. The Raspberry Pi W adds wireless. Unlimited data in your car. And blur all the things. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have Nick Walker, developer on the Azure App Service team, focusing on app service on Linux. How's it going, Nick? Going real good. How about you? Good, good. Uh, Carl, let's jump into the comment of the week. Yes, this week we have a five-star iTunes review from JOD14, and they said, MS Dev Show has now become my favorite developer podcast. Great content, great guests, and great hosts who do... uh, What what more do you you need? need? What more do you need? Yep. So um, I actually got this comment from... This is from Great Britain iTunes. Uh, so iTunes has this really weird system where podcasts and, and other things that get ratings, they have different ratings depending on what region they're in. So I checked a whole bunch of different regions and we actually have a whole bunch of reviews in there for, from uh, great Britain. Um, so that's, that's where this one uh, came from. It was from the great Britain's iTunes. So you won't, won't normally see it in the reviews if you're here in the, uh, the U S but uh, it's so, great seeing reviews from outside the U S. Yeah. So if you want to get mentioned on the show, like J O D one four, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like these five-star iTunes reviews. Perfect. Yeah. We have a whole bunch of cool no- news stories this week. So let's just jump into it. Um, how do you shadows and blur effects in modern UI design? I, I thought this was a really cool article because a lot of the times, um, if you're an indie developer or you just have a great idea for an app, uh, you jump in and you make something that's functional, but uh, it might not look the greatest. And um, this article really does a good job about bringing in a little bit of design terms and design theory in in a way that no matter what you're developing for, maybe the uh, the web, a desktop, a mobile application, uh, you can apply these to any of them. In particular, they're talking about uh, shadow and blur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think this is uh, kind of really hits home with Windows 10 developers, especially since uh, in the creators update, or maybe not even the creators update, I think uh, we're going to start seeing some of this coming up soon uh, um, in the Insider uh, program with uh, Project Neon, which is uh, the Windows 10 uh, updated design language. And definitely moving forward with whatever is released um, beyond the creators update, we'll see more of that. And that has a lot of uh, a lot more of those blur effects, translucency kind of things going on with them. Yeah, where I really so, see this is in the the Google uh, UI language. Yeah, and and it shows shows you like the difference about using it, not using it, how you want to use blur to give focus to what people should pay attention to. So okay, um, this reminds me a lot of rounded corners. You know, because it's like, okay, now we have this this tool at our disposal. Should we just should we make everything with rounded corners? Should we make everything have this uh, this blur and 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 depth to it? You know, when do we use it? How do we use it? Uh, so this is a great what, article for that. Yeah, what I like especially though is it, it's not just like, hey, we can do rounded corners. Let's do it. But this says, mm-hmm. hey, th- this is why you should use blur. It doesn't say, hey. All these platforms have it. Just blur everything. <laughs> blur all the which, things. <laughs> which is what we did with rounded corners back in the day. Yep. It was awesome. Well, now it's uh, now it's the circle thing, right? Like, let's put everything in a circle. <laughs> I'm seeing that one applied pretty much everywhere across the board now. Yep. Okay. What do we got next here? Raspberry Pi Zero W joins the family. So what does this add? So this is the Pi Zero. So the Pi Zero, for those who don't remember, is that the really, really small Pi that's like five dollars. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, one of the things that makes it a little bit harder to use is it doesn't have uh, any connectivity built onto it. So you either right. got to like bolt it on or find a- another way to do it. So this adds wireless LAN and Bluetooth, and it only doubles doubles the price to do that. So for ten dollars, you can have a really small development board that you can. Uh, wirelessly hit the internet for have a wireless keyboard mouse if, if that's something you need and uh, really do uh, you know whatever project it is that you're you're doing yeah and I'm pretty this excited because I just got a shipment of uh, IOT stuff in so <laughs> I'll just add to my uh, collection 
Yeah, this makes this way more appealing to me because, yeah, before it was like, okay, well, it could do stuff hooked up to your computer and you could control. Maybe okay for like building like a robot or something. But now I can actually have it do like networky things or I could join it to my Wi-Fi and then I could just I could remotely terminal in and and use it for that. Um, Ten dollars. Hopefully, hopefully there'd be a decent supply. I know that was one of the issues with the uh, the Pi Zero. Uh, oh, yeah, right here. It's available from all zero distributors today, with the exception of Micro Center, who should have st- stock in stores by the end of this week. So hopefully you can get this thing in stock. Will just be my my last comment because I'd love to have one of these things. Uh, Azure Command Line 2.0 generally available. Have you been using this, Carl? No, I haven't. I figured this is something that uh, that you do a little bit more with. I know you're in Azure pretty much every day. Yeah, I have. I actually haven't gotten a, a chance to play with this yet. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, modernizations in here, and I, I think this thing was like com- completely written from the rewritten from the from the ground up. Um, so this is this is very cool, and then has all the new ARM support and and all of that. So yeah, I haven't. This is just something I haven't uh, gotten a chance to do yet. But the command line is hap- is is pretty handy, um, especially whenever you're sort of transitioning to to automating a lot of the stuff that you're that you're doing. Um, you know, because no, normally like I, I go and I play around with, in the portal, but people in production, like that's not really a, that's not a good way of doing things. You don't want to be creating anything in the portal. You want to be able to use ARM templates um, or use something like a command line to, to do automation around that. Well, in so, addition, another great use case for this is some of the more cutting edge features. I, mm-hmm. I was working, uh, I told you a little bit before the show that I was working with Power BI Embedded, and mm-hmm. uh, there is no real UI in the portal for right. that. So yeah, really a lot of times the use... APIs are there first. Yeah, I've played a little bit with the new uh, the new CLI, and yeah, they did yeah. rewrite it in uh, in Python. It's real, one of the things I like about it. It's very user friendly. It's you can just mm-hmm. start you can start typing things, and you type AZ and hit enter, and it shows you the commands, and you type one more, and it shows you what the options are. It's very easy. To use. Very cool, very cool. And then, of course, it runs on Mac, Linux, and uh, and Windows. Um, this I, this might actually be a good uh, topic for an entire episode. Um, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of interesting stories uh, behind this. Uh, what do we got next here? New investments for Xbox developers and gamers kicks off at GDC 2017. So what is GDC, Carl? The Game Developers con- uh, uh, Conference. <laughs> That sounds like I, that'd be sounds like it'd be super fun to go to. Like I would never have a reason to go there, but it sounds like it'd be super fun. So what's it going must on? be nice to be on those teams. The biggest thing that yeah. that really came out is um, anybody now can create an app for the Xbox, including uh, games, which has been traditionally locked down. Mm-hmm. So in in the past, there was you know if you were a big title uh, game publisher like EA, you of course could make whatever game you wanted. And for the smaller independent people, there was the ID at Xbox. Um, there's now a, a new program. I think it's called the Xbox live creators program, which will allow, uh, anybody who didn't even fit those idea at Xbox qualifications can go in and, uh, submit a game. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I just noticed in here too, it, it says, um, let's see here. This means their title can see exposure to every Xbox one owner across the Xbox one family of devices, including project Scorpio this holiday. Um, so that's kind of cool. I mean, I knew we were, I guess we knew we were coming and it was coming out in 2017. Now we don't, now we, we know not to expect it like middle of the year or something, <laughs> um, holiday season. So that'll be, that'll be exciting to see what, uh, what details come out around that as well. Cool. Well, this is, I think this whole story just kind of expands on, because uh, we had talked to Giorgio about that, right? Um, about some of the uh, UWP functionality spreading over to Xbox One, which is really cool. Um, so where's a good place to go to develop these uh, these Xbox games? Apparently New Zealand, because uh, they'll pay you to move. <laughs> well, not just that. They'll, they'll pay you to, just to come out for an interview. Okay. So, you know, we've talked in the past about like working remotely, like both of us do. Yeah. And... Uh, another option that I've seen a, a lot of people do is people just moving to like these exotic or dream locations. Yeah. And one of them is New Zealand. Uh, they're supposed to have a great startup community, great tech center, fairly decent internet considering they're in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in an effort to entice even more people to their tech center, the, the I think their capital city is... Uh, trying to get a hundred people hired in the tech center, and in an effort to do that, they'll fly people out. And they said, even the ones that don't get a job through this, mm-hmm. you'll at least be exposed to New Zealand. Half the time, you know, it's just not knowing, not being there, not having that opportunity. So they're hoping out of those hundred people that they do get, that even more will 
like New Zealand so much that they'll try to find a way on their own. Hmm. It'd be a good place to have a job. Cause I know all the, the rich people on the planet, that's like their, that's their plan. If the, if the world uh, goes South is to, is to go to New Zealand and, uh, and live there. Cause it's so isolated and, uh, you know, reasonable climate. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. That's yeah, very, my cool. wife was definitely interested when she looked up the weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the, uh, the average weather there? I think it's like pretty much like 60 to 70 degrees year round. It does. It doesn't really get yeah. even too freezing Okay, and it doesn't get really hot either. So that's very it, cool. Cause it's essentially perfect. Yeah. Cause Australia like varies like on the coast there, it can, in certain spots, um, um, it can get, uh, like Brisbane can get very, very hot in the summer. So, um, sounds like New Zealand's even better. Uh, here we go. This is this is getting even more exciting here. Chevrolet to offer unlimited data plan with cars. And, and I, I think this is kind of really appropriate to talk about because recently uh, Verizon, AT&T, and pretty much I think T-Mobile as well mm-hmm. have unlimited data plans. Well, it's and T-Mobile. I, I think they kicked off the whole thing. Yeah, they kicked it off. Verizon made a big deal about it. And mm-hmm. I think at least for Verizon and AT&T, the, the cost of an additional line is essentially $20. Mm-hmm. And Chevrolet is offering unlimited data in their cars for $20. So depending upon how much time you spend in your car, it might be worth it instead of paying an extra line on what you have, because a lot of those, at least like Verizon, after 22 uh, gigs of data, you get throttled. Well, now you have another unlimited data set from Chevrolet. Okay. So it's just some, something else to think oh, about. Oh, so, so if I have... Okay, if you have a plan is- that throttles... So For even the cost if I of- have, so even if I have AT and T, this is still twenty dollars. Um, because this is, is this through Verizon? Does it say or I guess it, it's through Chevrolet, whoever they. Decide. Oh, so they don't specify. Okay, so the but the point is that even if let's say pretend like I had no phone at all, I could still get this for twenty dollars a month, right? Unlimited. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Okay. So you're gonna trade upgrade your Mustang? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to get a Camaro then. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want a Camaro. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, what's interesting. Yeah, you're right. I saw T-Mobile kind of kicked off the whole, the whole cell phone thing, uh, with the unlimited data plans. And then Verizon, I think, you know, they were just getting, they were losing so much business that they decided to do it. And then, um, and then, then AT&T started saying, you know, seeing all these people go to Verizon, cause there's a lot of people that can't switch over to T-Mobile for, for coverage reasons, but mm-hmm. Verizon, you know, has a great coverage map. So, I mean, anybody in AT&T was like looking at those plans, including me, was like, Whoa, like, why am I sticking with AT&T have unlimited data over here in Verizon? Um, so of course AT&T was forced to, you know, it's hard to force these companies to do anything, but they were forced to, to come out with an unlimited data plan as well. Um, one interesting thing, I mean, you don't have to go out and buy a car to get this, uh, because you can, uh, you can, you can add uh, with the, the plans. I know at and is the one I've really been looking into for $20 a month. You can add a hotspot. Actually, you said that Verizon does the same thing. So you can add a hotspot for 20 a month and get unlimited data on that. <clears throat> um, or like with Verizon and at t both as well, will let you use your phone as a hotspot though for, um, I know on at t it's only 10 gigabytes. Um, and then it starts throttling on there. But, uh, so really the only, the biggest advantage of this is that it's, um, essentially a separate data cap, right? Um, you know, whenever you're traveling, this would be kind of interesting for, um, uh, like Netflix on the go, um, or, or that type of thing. <laughs> so yeah. Who are you using Nick for your provider? Uh, personally, I use uh, AT and T. Yeah, yeah. It's the 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 race is heating up. Like I think I think people now now that the people aren't locked into contracts too. I think it's a little bit more fluid. And I don't know. I I bet you if you go any of the in, if you go into Verizon or AT and T or any of those stores right now, I bet you they're pretty busy right now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And you're right. The the no contract thing is huge. It's kind of changed everything. People really understand the purchase the 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 ramifications yeah. of the purchase price of their phone up front, and it's changed a lot of stuff. Yeah, I do know that my phone was $850 and that seems crazy to me. <laughs> uh, let's see here. With the creators update, Microsoft will finally kill forced reboots due to Windows updates. Woohoo! This is uh this is super exciting. We actually had this is this is like a behind the scenes look by the way. Uh cuz we had a guest on and he actually asked us to cut it, but he went on a rant about uh about forced updates in Windows. <laughs> I I won't I won't name names, but anyway, um they the the Windows team has listened. This is this is great. You want to give us the details on this, Carl? Uh, essentially, now that uh, with the uh, creators update, uh, 
you well, I guess I added it, this one in, so you, I, I, <laughs> you added it. Yeah. But um, you you'll have a lot more control when the when there are updates when they do get installed and when um uh, a reboot has to take place. You can uh, pick a time in the future. You can um, there's expanded quiet hours or or not quiet hours. What do they call it? Work work hours essentially yeah the but period yeah, the period yeah. in the day when it, you you just need your computer and you can't have it reboot yep active Those hours is what they call it active hours yeah yeah that's at eight that's bumped up to 18 hours now it's like yes um that's so much better because like i know when i sleep but i don't know exactly when i'm working so 18 hours finally covers it it was that was so annoying before because i think i have mine set for like seven to seven but you know i could be using my computer at 8 p.m i mean it's not yeah it's the, not the one that thing that I, I i still find a little goofy about active hours is you know what about those airplane terminals like those those machines that are just running 24 hours a day and there there's people getting on and off planes and you you know you occasionally see those with blue screens and we laugh but yeah ever since well, they, active hours have been out you see a lot more with hey your pc needs to update on those well, they they should be on LTSB is what they should be on. <laughs> so there is a there They're is not. an edition of Windows where you basically can you don't have to update for ten years. Uh, but that, you know they're just using they're basically using the wrong thing for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, the big thing here is that you can snooze for three days and then you can keep doing it. So you can essentially you can essentially stay out of date if you want to. Obviously, at your own risk. Please don't do this. But if you are in the middle of something important, uh, then you can you can keep delaying it. Um, things like this podcast, you know, we get we get updates on our on the machines all the time, and and we you know sometimes we'll see them like the day of the podcast. It's like, nope, <laughs> not going to do that. Uh, so this is this is really good. Okay. Well, enough of the news. Uh, that was that was a whole lot of stuff that we went over. Um, I really wanted to dive into into web apps because it's such an amazing feature within uh, within Azure. And I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but we wanted to bring Nick on because I think there's been a whole bunch of really cool stuff that's been added, um, and there's just a lot of cool innovation there. So thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Um, the, the first thing that uh, I, I guess we'll just kind of ask like a kind of a wide open question, which is what is new in web apps? <laughs> so okay, so what's new in web apps um, the the big thing I would say over the the last eight to ten months and the reason that it's it's new in in web apps uh, is mm-hmm. because it's a lot of the same people working on it is Azure functions um, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention Azure functions even though we're talking about you know web applications um, and the reason is because that uh, functions actually sits on top of uh, Azure app service as kind of a, a host. Um, so a lot of the innovation, a lot of things that have been going on the last uh, eight or ten months are all in functions. Um, functions is absolutely on fire right now. Uh, went generally available in November, and mm-hmm. the the team is absolutely charging ahead with updates to uh, tooling, uh, support for different workflows. Um, there's the Azure Functions CLI for local testing. You can uh, you can debug in Visual Studio Code. We're now uh, compatible with the serverless framework. If you go to serverless.com, um, there are extensions for the serverless framework uh, to use functions from there. Um, so functions functions is the big thing. It's when it's been where a lot of time and effort and innovation has uh, been going. Um, and it's definitely part of the app service family. Uh, but um, other than other than functions, there's a lot of other stuff that's been happening in app service as well over the last uh, year, year and a half. Um, huge, a lot of it is around uh, just big buckets of features to make uh, app developers' lives easier. Uh, stuff around mobile apps, API apps, um, tons of uh, diagnostics and metrics available directly from the portal to help you troubleshoot your app, find problems. Um, introduction of logic apps. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, like Microsoft Flow, logic apps is kind of the, the professional version of that that sits in your app service. Um, you can now, uh, app services has always handled uh, SSL termination, but now you can buy, uh, you can purchase uh, an SSL certificate for your custom domain directly from the portal without actually leaving the portal and install it. Um, we've been keeping up with uh, .NET Core, supporting the newest runtimes, the newest tooling. Um, there's tons of new quick starts, templates, walkthroughs all the time. Um, if you check out siteextensions.net, so site extensions is a part of app service, uh, little extra add-ons that you can install directly to your site. Um, there's always new ones. I know just uh, a month or two ago, there was a, a site extension created for Let's Encrypt. So you can get uh, Let's Encrypt certificates in uh, Jekyll Site Generator. 
uh, really? stuff of okay. that nature. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Holy stuff. Cow. There. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm getting way too excited here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, feel free to stop me. Feel free to stop me. Yeah. Please stop. Please stop. I can't take it. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the order that we should even talk about this, but one thing that, 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 uh, that's been a huge pain for us has been SSL certificates. So the, I didn't realize that you guys had let's encrypt support. Um, cause I always looked at let's encrypt, which is the service that, you know, lets you like, um, get uh, free SSL certs where you can renew them on a, on a regular basis, like in an automated fashion. Mm-hmm. So you're saying I can hook that up to my web app and get automated, like rotating SSL certs. Yes. Uh, I, I'm okay. not, I, I can't say I'm hundred percent familiar with the functionality. I haven't tried it out. Myself. Yeah, that's fine. Like if, uh, man, if there's any, if there's any integration there, like that's super exciting. Yeah. So. If you go to, if you go to site extensions.net, you'll see it in one of the site extensions we've got. There. Okay. I'll have to look at that. Cause that's been, uh, um, that's been a, a, a source of pain. Like we basically, we threw money at the problem. <laughs> we just, we, we bit the bullet and bought like some expensive certificate, um, which was pretty easy to install, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that was kind of our, our solution. So that's, that's kind of big news. So yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of back it up and we'll, we'll talk about some of these topics one by one, yes. but I know Carl, you had a question. Yeah. So, um, going on to, you know, when we talk about web apps, um, you can, you can't just select a web app in the portal. You need an app service. So can you tell us why that is? Oh yeah. So are you, are you referring to like app service plan? Yes. Or, yeah. You oh. need an app service plan to have a web app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. So, um, and yeah, this, this has been some, uh, some source of, of confusion for, for some of our customers. So basically when you, when you want to create, uh, what we call an app service or, or a web app, um, it needs to be hosted somewhere and our kind of the, the increments in which you can purchase tiers of service from Azure for your web app are app service plans. And they're basically your server farm that your, uh, that your app service, that your web app is going to run on. In fact, they used to originally, I think they used to be called server farms and internally and in, like in Azure resource manager, you can see they're called server farms. Um, but when you purchase that app service plan, that gives you your compute resources, your site disk space um, to to run your sites on. And then once you have an app service plan, you can actually host multiple apps in that app service plan because that's what you're paying for, those resources that are dedicated to you. Yep. And we've talked about that on the show before, um, about how you, you know, we, I, I have... Um, I have an app service plan and then we host like my, my personal blogs on there, the MS dev show. We have just tons and tons of sites on there. Um, and it's just great because I can just stand up new sites and I don't even have to think about it. Um, they all just run on the same server. So it's really analogous to, to an IIS server that's running multiple websites at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. I guess, yeah, I guess it's even one, one step more powerful in the fact that it's really a farm of, of Mm -hmm. machines. So I could set up independently, like I could set up 10 different, uh, you know, machines within my plan. Right. And then I could put, um, a hundred websites on there yep. and all hundred websites would be running on those 10 servers. Yeah. Yeah. That, that scale, the scale of those individual workers, those compute instances is part of yeah. the app service plan. Yeah. That's very cool because it's basically like a giant pooled resource at that point. Um, so how do, how do I scale my, my application? I mean, obviously I can throw more, um, more servers at it. I mean, am I able to like change the size of the servers too? I mean, there's two different, there's two different directions I can scale. I can scale out or I could scale up. Yeah. Um, is that really, is that really what I do? I, I keep adding servers and if I need, uh, you know, more power then I just bump up the server size. Is that kind of the general guidance? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's pretty much just about as simple as you make it sound. We try to make it absolutely as simple as possible, uh, through the portal. If you go and you look at, uh, the different scale tiers that we offer is you can mm-hmm. pretty clearly see, uh, that each, each scale tier offers, um, a specific number of cores and a certain amount of memory per instance and then you Mm -hmm. can scale out by adding more instances Uh, so like within our standard tier for example there are a couple of different standard tier options where we're offering one core or two cores or four cores per instance and a certain amount of memory and then um, you can scale up to i believe in the standard plan it's up to 10 instances and you can scale that manually you can go to the portal and say hey this is running on five right now i want it to be running on seven or you Mm -hmm. can have it auto scale for you based on uh, certain metrics that your site is generating about CPU usage or memory or requests per second. Okay. And, and do I specify like min and max limits then for the, for the size? Uh, yeah. So if you're, if you're talking about like auto scaling, 
Yeah. yeah, you can. Yeah, you can set specific criteria for the scaling about um, how if you never want to surpass a certain amount, or if you should scale down and not to not to go below a certain number. Okay. Yeah, because I want at least uh, two for availability, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Uh, an- another thing that's related to web apps is when you dig around on the Azure Azure portal, you see that web jobs are there. So, mm-hmm. what are web jobs, and why are they kind of attached essentially to a web app? Yeah. Okay. So web web jobs are a feature that I've, I'm a really huge fan of. They're kind of near and dear to my heart. When I was playing around with web jobs, um, when I was on on a different team previously, they were kind of the feature that got me really interested in app service because I thought they were so cleanly implemented. They work so well. Web jobs yeah. are they're hard. They're hard to explain though. They they can be a little bit hard to explain. So yeah. I, I've been I've, <laughs> I've been working on on how to come up with. Okay. This. I think I think a good exa- a good way to start is um, if you look at old tutorials for. Um, for like uh, ASP.NET applications or setting up sites in Azure, there's always this canonical example of like a, a guest book where somebody uploads an image of themselves and they sign the guest book. And then mm-hmm. uh, canonically, years ago, the example always had you spinning up background threads to rescale uh, those images. And then when WebJobs debuted, we changed all those examples because now you can use WebJobs to do this. So uh, what WebJobs are is they're basically arbitrary code, arbitrary executables, uh, pretty much anything that a Windows server can execute uh, that you uh, deploy into your app service and they will run uh, on your app service resources, so which essentially means it doesn't cost you anything extra because you're already paying for that app service plan. And those those jobs are triggered based on uh, different events that can be occurring in Azure or within your site. So you can have them run on a timer. You can have a web job uh, run in response to a message being posted to a queue or a storage blob being created. And uh, if, if any of this sounds familiar, it's because uh, web jobs are actually kind of like version 0.1 of Azure Functions. Azure Functions, the implementation of functions actually grew out of web jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way I like to explain them is they're console apps in the cloud. Yes. And granted, you do get a little bit of extra functionality. There's a, you, there's a little bit of SDK that you, you put the right code in the main function, then you, you get you get the hook into different things. But it actually starts out as a console app. Yes. And you can even do console.writeline, and then there's cloud-based uh, you know, logging that you can look at, and you can see all of your your right lines. Yes, and that's, I think that is so elegant, so smooth. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite parts. There is a uh, there is an SDK, and that's what allows you to hook easily into into some of those events, things like message queue or things that are happening within your site. But you don't have to use the SDK if you don't want to. You can literally create a console application on your developer machine, put it onto your app service, and it it because just by virtue of putting it there, it becomes a web job. It's something that your site can run for you. Yeah, and and once you have that in Visual Studio, uh, a con- uh, a console app, when you right click on it, it all, all automatically it comes up with the option deploy as web job. Yep. Yeah, so, we've got nice tooling for that in Visual Studio. I did not know any of that. Um, so my next question, which might sound really stupid in that context, then if you um, if if t- it, let's pretend like you had never developed web jobs, um, like that feature didn't exist, and all you had were web apps and you had Azure Functions, would you still today? Uh, create web jobs? Like, do they do they make sense in the presence of Azure Functions? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So for, uh, for a, a huge number of use cases and for a lot of customers, um, functions, they, they have, people are transferring their web jobs to functions. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the reason behind that is because it's the, the development experience for functions is so cool. And because you can also run on what we call the, the consumption plan, which is you, you literally only pay for the function executions that you yep. generate. Um, certain web jobs definitely still make sense to run on uh, your app service. Uh, the re- there, there's a couple of reasons. It's it can be nice depending on your architecture or design. You may have a reason for wanting to execute that code within your app service on those same compute resources that your site is running on. Um, and there's you know there there are a couple of there are a couple of options if if you are already dealing with. Uh, your app service kind of on a day-to-day basis, you're familiar with that interface. Web jobs may just still be more comfortable to you. 
Um, but for for most use cases, yeah, functions have kind of superseded web jobs. Yeah, and Azure Functions, I mean, they they use a lot of the web jobs code, right? Yes. So um, yeah, so that's part of what I was saying earlier. Azure Functions uh, actually sits on top of App Service when you when you create new Azure Functions. They're actually created inside of an app service. It's a specially configured app service that runs for you. But all of that stuff, all of the function binding and everything else sits on top of the WebJobs SDK. Okay. Because I've, I've, the tip that I've given on the show before, you know, sometimes whenever you're looking for the Azure Functions documentation, there's, you know, it seems to be like completely absent uh, whenever you want to dive into some of the details. Mm. And the trick is to go look at the web jobs yes. uh, documentation for some of those things. For, for example, processing messages from event hubs, um, all that documentation is actually in the web jobs uh, code base. Yeah. If you want to dive into the details and, and learn a little bit about some of the way, like, the, the individual bits you can configure or how it works underneath. Yeah, that's that's where a lot of that documentation is. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. Um, so I know that one of the, one of the things you focus on is the, is the Linux web apps. Yes. Um, from my perspective, like if I'm, if I have some code that runs on Linux and windows, um, it, it seems like there'd be no difference to me. So what is the difference between a Linux and a windows web app? Okay. So that, that's a really good question. And um, I, I think also in, in, in the context of app service, uh, the the natural question is why would why would we bother to offer it? I you know app service it should be a platform as a service. I thought we were abstracting thing, those things away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's why, why should it matter? Right. I don't care. Why should it matter? I don't what care where it's running. System? Yeah. <laughs> so um, the the answer to that is um, we the goal of app service is to abstract away kind of the the ownership and operation and the sort of the tertiary concerns of uh, a web application. Um, but when it comes to developing your application. We, we don't want to hide those things. We want to make the, the, the full power of whatever application development stack you choose available to you. And it's no secret that a lot of web app stacks, uh, Ruby on Rails, PHP, Node, were really designed for Linux first, and they work better there. Uh, whenever there's an application stack that has cross-platform support, there's always going to be differences in performance, uh, behavior, configuration. Well, yeah, and that goes both ways, right? I mean, yeah. so if, if something was developed on Windows first, you're gonna you're gonna see that, and then you're gonna see you know whoever developed it try to try to make parity. But you yes, know, absolutely, it's just there's differences. But it's yeah, it's and it's the thing is, it's definitely something we've heard from our customers. Node.js, uh, PHP are very very popular on app service, and Sometimes customers will try things and the the answer that they'll get on Stack Overflow or elsewhere is, well, if you were running this on Linux, it would just work. And we don't, you know, we want to support those scenarios. We know that Linux is where a lot of web app developers are, and we don't see any reason you should have to choose between Linux and app service. You should be able to get both. Okay. So you mentioned PHP and Node. So what other kind of development stacks um, are supported on web apps? So uh, let's see. Uh, on the the first class support for application stacks that we have on web apps for at least on so on the Windows side, um, uh, let's see here. We've got Node.js, uh, PHP. Um, I have a couple others written down here somewhere. I'm trying to remember. .NET and .NET Core, obviously. Uh, Java and Python, I think, are the big ones we support on the Windows side. Um, on Linux, we're we're basically shooting for the same kind of support. And the way that we've architected and designed uh, Linux app service, uh, we should be able to support pretty much any application development stack you've got um, by virtue of the fact that you can put your own container in and and run whatever stack that you like. 
Okay, we'll get to that in, in yeah. just a second. But I did. We've mentioned .NET Core a few times, so I did want to dive into that specifically. Um, so obviously, you said that there's .NET Core support in there. So if I want to deploy a .NET Core web application, I can do that today. Absolutely. Okay, and then one of the interesting things about .NET Core is like .NET comes with it. You know, it's not it's not like something that just exists on the system. So if you're doing like .NET Core on Windows, does that mean that your pack that that your the .NET is coming along with that? Does that I don't even hopefully that may even make sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the kind of scenario where um, if yeah the, the the assemblies that you are depending on from .NET Core are going to come with your application. They're going to be deployed right. along alongside your application. Yeah, because I could deploy two different .NET Core applications and they would have two different versions of .NET Core, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's kind of, that's what I, that's what I want to understand. That's, that's pretty cool. Yes. Okay. And now we can sort of, now we can circle back to the, the container uh, yeah. feature within Linux. Cause when I heard that, um, I w- well, first of all, when, when, when we announced the Linux web app stuff, I was like, yes, that is, that's awesome. Just cause it was, it was one of those things that was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I found out you guys are using, um, containers as part of this. And I think that's really intriguing. So like, how does that actually work? I mean, is this finally the Holy grail where I can like put whatever I want in a container and you guys will just execute it? Uh, in, yes, in, in many ways, no, no, in some others. So, um, I'll, 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 I I was hoping the answer was yes, but I wasn't expecting (laughs) the answer. The answer for a lot of cases, if you're focused on a web application, the answer is, is definitely yes. So where this, where this came from, um, Docker containers, uh, were a, a natural fit for what we're trying to do in terms of just our implementation, trying to implement Linux web apps as resources that you are free to create, um, start up, shut down, throw away, and update whenever you want. Um, mm, but it, it turns out it's not just a really good fit for us and our implementation, the way that we're doing stuff. It really aligns with what customers want to do in terms of their own development processes. So um, the the traditional model of app service is that we have this base Windows image, and this is for standard Windows app service, that implements the web server and the dependencies and all the tools and everything else for all of the app stacks that we support. And then you deploy your bits, and then you your bits make use of those dependencies and everything else that we have available on the Windows image. On Linux, the idea is the same. We want to support those same scenarios, but the base image that you're going to get is actually a Docker image. And what that allows us to do is we can make a bunch of different images that support different application stacks. So if you're running a node site, you don't necessarily need an image with .NET Core tools and Python stuff. So we can just leave those out. You can run purely on node. That's all that's in the image. It's very small. It's very lightweight. It has exactly the version that you want. Uh, We can update those images independently, add new images as new versions and stacks become available. And of course, the real power is we can host images that you create and put on Docker Hub or Azure Container Registry or elsewhere. So that means you can create your own platform that runs some, you know, homegrown application stack or if you want to, and we know this is what a lot of people are really excited for, you can completely Dockerize your application, put all the bits into the container, ship it up to Docker Hub, and we will pull it down and host it for you. That is cool. So if I had some exotic version of Node, let, let's just say that I I modified the the source code of Node itself, and, and I'm just doing this to make a point. Yep. Uh, I, if I if I modified the source code, I created new Node.js binaries, and then I packaged those up in that container. I could be running like my custom build of Node.js against you know and run my application and all in that container, and you guys would run it. Absolutely. That is that's really cool. Um, and then so the the next logical question then is what about non web facing containers? So if I have one container that's hosting my web front end, what if I have another container that's I don't know, my database or something? Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So this this is where the answer slides from from okay. <laughs> fully yes to to partially no. So yeah. we are we're uh, if if you go out and do some research on on container hosting out on the internet, you find a lot of Azure Container Service, Kubernetes, Mesosphere. Mm-hmm where people are um, have these kind of microservice architectures and you know some of the they want to scale and run these fleets of containers some of them are cut off from the internet their back end that's those those kind of scenarios we aren't focused on so much right now we're primarily focused on hey give us a container with your app or your app dependencies and we will run it um, not so much uh, orchestrating multiple containers or, or right. managing connectivity for different kinds of services in different containers 
I think that makes sense giving your given your initial intro. I mean, Docker just sounds like it was a natural fit for for yes. implementing this. Yes. It wasn't meant as at least not at this point as a generic container service. Exactly. Yeah, we are we are still focused on the 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 original reason for app service existing uh, it continues for for app service on Linux. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, we're always throwing around new ideas and, and considering new stuff. Um, but but for right now, those are the scenarios we're focused on. Okay. Yeah. In the portal, there's there's a section called Continuous Delivery Preview. Yes. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So uh, Continuous Delivery Preview is um, it's sort of an amped up version of uh, the build and release options that you get through Kudu. So right now, the the Kudu portal, which is kind of we haven't really talked about it yet, uh, the it's it's been part of App Service for a long time. Uh, you can it's kind of an administrative add-on to your site that always runs next to your site. And one of the important things that Kudu does is it lets you do continuous integration with like Git or GitHub. This is how we support deployments to App Service today where you can deploy by uh, committing your code to GitHub and then a webhook fires, we automatically pull your code down and build it and run it. Um, the build the build solutions, the build offerings that we can offer on App Service through Kudu are pretty good, but they're a little bit limited. Um, they're not, I, I wouldn't say they're enterprise grade. They're not super customizable, um, for, for some people, for what some people are doing. And so, uh, continuous delivery is a partnership with our friends at, uh, visual studio team services. They offer a very fully featured build and release pipeline that you can set up right in your browser and continuous delivery is basically our connector to that. Uh, it'll help you set up a full build and release pipeline through them. Um, you can also set up automated post-build load testing, and then uh, through another app service, they automatically generate load and give you the results, and then it'll deploy into your app service and, and you're live. That's great, because that was that was a gap. So uh, the MS Dev Show site, site, so we originally used <laughs> yeah, this is, this is going to get pretty funny. Uh, so we originally used Kudu uh, deploying from from GitHub, um, and it worked pretty well. One of the only issues we ever had with it was that it would um, it would burn through a lot of CPU because the, the the build process would essentially run on the same machines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's that's one issue. But we we bumped up the the instance sizes, and 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 that sort of became a non issue. But what we ended up doing, what I found actually was more flexible at the time, was to use uh, Travis CI, mm-hmm. uh, which is a is like a third party continuous integration service. I think I think the reason that Carl was laughing was um, AWS had an S three outage the other day. Yes. Um. And 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 you know it, it's what's amusing about it is we host everything on Azure, but our deployment pipeline. Uh, through Travis apparently is hosted on AWS and <laughs> we didn't even know it. So <laughs> we could, so we, while our website stayed up, we weren't able to update our site uh, because, because of the AWS outage. Yeah. So, um, so we, we discovered that. So I've actually um, at, I've, I've actually been working in parallel at doing a full VSTS build pipeline for, for our site, which is actually pretty simple, but one of the most difficult parts was actually wiring it up to the, to the site. It was, that was a little cumbersome. Yep. Um, I actually didn't even realize what this continuous delivery piece was until you mentioned it. So it sounds like my life just got a lot easier with that. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a try. I, um, it's like I said, it's, it's still in preview, but, um, my, from what I've seen, it's it's pretty fully featured, and and like you said, your your build and your release process is going to run not in your app service plan. It's going to be on a separate resource, yeah. and you're going to need a lot of customizability and power through what uh, VSTS offers. Yeah, because I know at one point we were actually running the site as a as a shared site. Mm. Um, I think I think we might have even yeah. I don't think we were ever running it free. No, but we were running it as a shared site, mm-hmm. and we were the build process would basically burn up all of our quota on our site. Yep, that's just a yeah, just a piece of feedback. Um, so yeah, this I I think. Anybody who's doing um, any kind of serious work on this, um, this is great that you guys are, are looking at this in here. Because VSTS, the build pipeline, like three years ago was not great. Um, today, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's super easy to use. Um, I don't even know. I, I think you can use it for free. I guess I don't even know. Um, yeah, free through five free. people. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's, that's actually been been working out out great i think that 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 using those products together is a great story so i'm, I'm excited yes. about that um so back to the instance sizes one thing that's um that's always confusing to me we always have this concept of basic and standard instances what is the what is the difference there 
Yeah. So, um, it, so yeah, what, what you're referring to are, are our different um, service tiers. So they go, you guys yeah. had mentioned um, free and uh, shared. And yeah, yep. we go free, shared, basic, standard, up through premium. Um, and if you look, if, if you go to the portal and you go to scale up or scale out your, uh, your app service and you look at some of the offerings there, um, the, the, the scale, the, the three scale tiers that we offer in basic and in standard are, are the same in terms of the number of cores, the amount of memory that you get. But, um, when you step up to standard, the, the marketing language that we use is basically around uh, standard is what we consider production ready, kind of production grade or go live ready. And uh, you can definitely host smaller, like lower traffic sites on a basic plan, uh, but standard is kind of equals production. And the reason for that uh, primarily is because of a few key features that we unlock once you jump up to the standard tier. Um, and those are deployment slots, uh, auto scaling, uh, virtual network integration, uh, traffic manager integration and automated site backups. So once you step up to the standard tier, those are the the real killer features that you're going to be getting on your site. So you, you talked about backing up your web apps. How does it, how does that work? And kind of how can we test that? You know, because we all saw uh, recently GitLab's had kind of a, an issue. So how do we make sure that not only that you guys are backing up our web apps, but that the backups are are working? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the um, the the backup solution that we have at the standard tier above, it's pretty much a turnkey solution. It's it's not like super duper configurable, but it's very easy to set up. Um, it backs up your uh, your site to a storage account. Um, and when I say backup your site, it's basically it's your site configuration, the files that are on your site drive. And if you have if your site has a connection string configured for like Azure SQL or ClearDB MySQL database, we'll detect those and offer to back those up as well. Um, so when we run the backup, all of that gets backed up. Uh, to a storage account, and then we have a restore feature as well. I believe that you can restore out to a separate app service as well if you want to test your restores. You can temporarily set up another app service, restore out to it, um, ensure that you're you're liking what you see, and then trash it. So, so we're here at the MS Dev Show. We're, <laughs> we're horrible people. I'm just looking. We're running. <laughs> so the msdevshow.com is running on basic. And uh, we're using one small instance. Nice. <laughs> we don't even know two. Um, I have to say though, and I this is this is like you know do as I say, not as I do. But like we've had, um, as far as I know, it's been like pretty perfect uptime minus one issue that I'm not going to talk about. But <laughs> is it was that user <laughs> Which, error? <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, no, not exactly. It was I was actually I was using something experimental in Azure Functions, okay. and it basically burned through my entire quota, Ooh, yeah. and then the uh, the site went down. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually an issue outside of our site completely mm. um, because of my whole account got got screwed up. Oh. Um, but anyway, other than that, like I think we've had like pretty much perfect uptime with one basic instance. Um, so the only reason I mentioned that I think you guys are you know you're running a super reliable service. Obviously, any production site that has any importance. Um, you should have, you know, more than one instance running out there so that you have that, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, as it goes through and there's updates or, or things like that, it's, yes. it's not affected. Yeah, more than one instance running. And then if you're on standard tier above, you can integrate with Azure Traffic Manager and actually get geo replication too. Yeah, that was something I, I, I considered um, looking into as well. Um, that way, actually, we have, you know, we do have a lot of listeners outside the country and uh, that could really help our our performance because we could use traffic manager then to route to the nearest um, basically app service yep. um, and do something like that. Um, are there any interesting stats you can talk about with web app usage? I don't know. I don't know if there's any public numbers that you're able to share, but any anything to tell us like kind of how big this is or how important or those types of things? Yeah, I got a couple of stats for you. Um Okay. Uh, app service uh, right now is hosting more than a million apps um, and servicing its tens of billions of hits a day. Um, the wow. combined, if you add up all the app services um, and just look at those compute resources, the combined compute power for those is close to half a million cores. Um, okay. And then in terms of wow. like developer uptake, um, we just if you go on to NuGet.org, you can see that there's the the web job SDK is a NuGet package on NuGet.org, and it just passed a, a million downloads I think last month, um, and that's all people wow. using web jobs and uh, and functions. Yeah, those are all respectable, and I I've really been pushing functions. I think they 
they they're so so cool so i i think you're gonna see a huge uptick uh from azure functions as well absolutely I, I keep reading stuff about uh i was reading this thing the other day about you know where asking different kinds of developers you know what what's the new thing in in your field and people are talking about you know different things in hardware engineering and graphics and things like that and everybody related to enterprise said serverless Serverless, yeah. serverless, serverless. It's all about um, that scalability, that paying-as-you-go model, um, and being able to quickly write stuff, deploy it, and then get huge scale on it. Yeah, because I just have a whole bunch of functions that are just doing stuff for me all day long that I just don't even think about anymore. Yep. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I have one. It's it's based on a time trigger, and it goes out there and it it collects uh, Seattle traffic data and and shoves it into uh, shoves it into a database so that I can go and and take a look at that and and gain some insights out of that. Nice. Um, any other recent features um, that you wanted to to talk about specifically? Um. You know, let's see, uh, probably a, a couple of things I could throw in there. Um, a, sure. Over the last, I think, six, seven months, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier when, when we first started some of the diagnostic options, the 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 amount, the, the number of graphs that you can go look at on the Azure portal has grown tremendously and the power of those, they're, they're really, really useful. I know Scott Hanselman just had a blog post a couple, yep. uh, a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, we talked about that on our last episode. Oh, okay. He, he, it's yeah. the same, same as what you talked about. He hosts like 20 sites in one plan. And he wants to be able to go, you know, look at one that's that's behaving poorly and he can very quickly isolate, you know, he very quickly isolates what's happening and, and can fix the problem. Um, let's see a couple other features. Uh, um, MySQL in app is a big one. It's in preview. Um, it's basically running, it's, it's what it sounds like. You're running a local MySQL server within your app service. So typically if you're running a database, um, with your app service, it's Azure SQL or it's ClearDB. It's a separate resource. Um, this yeah. runs a local MySQL server, which is awesome for prototyping, rapid development, stand up something quickly when you don't want to mess around with multiple Azure resources. Um, so, so explain that some more. Is is that meant for production then? No, <laughs> we actually, okay. we actually okay. say it actually <laughs> says if you go if you go to the the portal blade to turn it on, it says we do not recommend this for production. Oh, okay, because if you're going to say yes, because there's a whole, I mean, da- running like replicated databases is like a whole yeah. other thing. So yeah, we, there's, there's, there's a big warning, questions. and I'm I'm pretty sure it's okay. not just because it's in preview; it's because of the nature of it. It says this is not meant for production. It is not geo replicated, um, but it's it's really great for it. It feels it's got that feel to it of like when you set up that that local MySQL, like in your Visual Studio, it's it's kind of yeah. that, but on the server. So it's, it's very okay. fast and easy to use. Okay, very cool. So is there any upcoming features that you can talk about with us today? Um, yeah, there are a couple of things I can talk about uh, with uh, App Service on Linux. Uh, so App Service on Linux, you know, I, I didn't mention it earlier. Um, obviously, the, the nearest and dearest thing to my heart, App Service on Linux, we're still in preview. Um, we haven't announced the GA date yet, but you can go use it now. Um, if you go and try it today, it works. It, uh, it works pretty well, but you'll see where we don't have feature parity with what's on Windows. But there's a couple things that are coming. So one is container CI. So like I talked about, you can when you use a, a when you specify a custom container, you can think of it as like a platform container and then deploy your bits through Kudu, mm-hmm. or you can Dockerize your entire app and deploy it that way. Uh, when you Dockerize your whole app and you put it on and you have us hosted in App Service. Currently, that's it's it's pretty much a manual process. If you update the image in Docker Hub or an Azure Container Registry, you have to go tell the portal to pull it again. And we are going to be adding CI for that as well. So every time that you update your whole app in the container, will automatically pull it down and refresh the image. Oh, that's so um, cool! So I could so 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 potentially as my part of my build process, my my asset could actually be the Docker container. And I, I'm I actually not sure about this, but I'm, I'm guessing VSTS will push to Docker Hub and then you guys would ultimately pick it up from there then. Exactly. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, the, I, I'm cool. not I'm not 100% sure about the, the VSTS push to Docker Hub. Yeah, but I there's, just, it there's seems a like something that they would do. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple of ways. I'm, I, I can almost guarantee there's some way to make that work right now. But yeah, we'll okay. put it up on, on Docker Hub and, and we'll pull it down. That's not there yet, but we're working on it. The other other thing that's big is um, that we're working on is uh, SSH. So right now on a Windows app service, you can go to the Kudu portal and get a console 
that looks yep. that you can fully interact with your entire uh, app service. Um, you can look at the file system, look at processes. Right now, we have that for app service on Linux, but it's extremely limited. And when you run the console, the file system you're actually looking at, with the exception of the shared site drive, is the kudu. So kudu runs in a separate container. So you're looking at its file system at its process space. And we're looking at um, what we want to enable is you should be able to go to that console and SSH into your actual site container and see the site processes. And then from there, it's still a ways off, but we want people to actually be able to SSH from their local development machine directly into their site's container space. Um, and that's not something that we even have for app service on Windows right now. So it's still a ways off, but we're definitely looking into it. Man, VSTS, they are just killing it, man. They, they, I, I just logged in. I didn't even realize they have like a whole new interface for this thing. I was looking, um, here we go, deploy. I was seeing if they had the Docker one. So let's see here. Um, man, the lit, there's too many things in the list. <laughs> well, there's package. So I think there's one CocoaPods, NPM, NuGet. I don't see any in here, but I just have to think, oh yeah, and look at this. I see the app service, uh, Azure app service deploy. Um, so that's all in here. Um, I'll have to look though. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that I don't see the, the, um, Docker stuff in here. I was pretty sure that's in there. So we might have to, uh, might have to talk to Donovan about that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, cause I could obviously just push it straight in, but it would be kind of neat to just have that Docker package. Cause then, yeah. I don't know, then theoretically I could just run it wherever the heck I want. Yep. Um, and then I could just say, Hey, yeah, I'm an expert in Docker. Totally using that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> add, add that to the resume, put it on the checklist. Yeah. Yeah. That's going on the resume. Yep. Oh, very cool. Um, anything else you wanted to mention before we move on? Uh, nope. I think that about sums it up. Okay. Yeah. There's, uh, Man, I'm excited. I want to get our build process switched over now. Um, I'm super, I'm excited about that. Uh, okay, so let's move on to our Azure pick of the week. So my pick this week is uh, Azure Stack Technical Preview 3. Um, so anybody who's been uh, eagerly awaiting updates to Azure Stack, they have a, um, um, a big uh, build out. And then there's this new like pay-as-you-go pricing model. I don't know. I usually don't pay too much attention to pricing. Uh, did you read about this at all, Carl? The actual no, pay-as-you-go pricing? Okay. So I really don't know the pricing, but it's uh, um, apparently it's a pay-as-you or sorry, pay-as-you-use pricing model. Um, but anyway, any, anybody who's been following the, the, the um, Azure Stack stuff, go check this out. Um, and Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? So I am working on, in my spare time on a UWP app. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, I had wanted to do was add access keys or I didn't know there were access keys at the times so I wanted to add keyboard shortcuts. So I wanted to hit like alt D and have it do something. Um, so here's a link to some documentation on access keys. And what's really cool about this too is, uh, instead of just being able to wire up to a key or a series of keys and do some some cording, you also get a bunch of events that happen back. So you can put up custom UI. So you could hold down the alt key and just have all the, like if you have buttons and menu items, you can have the, the actual letters for what those shortcuts are hover oh, okay. over those. And that's actually what I wanted to do. And that made it super easy to do. So if that's something that uh, you're looking to add, uh, check out the show notes uh, for how access keys work in UWP apps. Wow. Well, they've thought of everything. Uh, well, and and what they haven't uh, uh, thought of yet, they're adding. That team is yeah. working <laughs> really hard to catch UWP up. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so Nick, the uh, we, there's a game that we play. I need you to pick a number between one and four. Uh, let's go with three. Three. Okay, I have to find a card that doesn't have three used. Let's see here. Oh, I found one. <laughs> I have. I'm finally marking off the question, so now it's getting trickier and trickier. <laughs> Would you rather laugh when you should cry and cry when you should laugh, or never be able to do either one? Uh, I wow. I'm gonna. Have, I that's a that's a good one. I'm gonna have so to I go tell with, you a good joke and you start crying. Yeah, and then you're at a funeral and you just keep laughing. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go with never be able to do either because that that I think would just be a little bit too awkward. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is like. So do you still feel the appropriate emotion? Yeah, I that and that's the problem. Like I think <laughs> I would just be crying a lot. I don't think I would be laughing very often though. <laughs> I'd have to. So. I'd have to start. I'd have to start announcing myself. I'm so happy. I'm extremely sad. <laughs> and, then, and then you just start crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, that should be like a sitcom character. Like that's like their affliction. <laughs> That'd be pretty amusing. Okay, Carl, pick a number. Uh, number two. Number two. Would you rather have a, 
I think we just had this one. No, no, I, I don't know if we've had this one before. We'll do it. Would you rather have a head that is perfectly round like a basketball, but normal in every other way, or have both feet the exact size and shape as shoe boxes? I, I'd have to do the feet because people are going to be looking at your head all the time and you're just yeah. going to look odd. So you're going to be, you're going to be yeah, con- self-conscious about Plus that. It'd be a lot easier to buy shoes. If you just like, Hey, just give me your shoe boxes when you're done. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, I buy my wife some shoes and then can I have the box? <laughs> I don't know if those give you the, the, the no, padding pro- that you need. Probably though. not. Yeah. Cool. And cool. actually they'd be like one and they'd be size. They'd be one size too small. Right. Because your, your feet are the exact size and shape as shoe boxes. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know what size shoes. So anyway, uh, Nick, where can people find you? So best place is probably uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is it's Nick Walk MSFT. And I actually have the same handle like on GitHub as well. Um, but yeah, Twitter is probably the best place. Okay, perfect. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Nick, thank you so much for uh, coming on here and giving us an update about all the cool stuff you guys are doing as far as web apps and Linux and containers. Very cool stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.